Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 176, week 176, volume 176, number fucking 176. Hey, going guys, how's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Mike of Angel Maker, and that will be coming up later in the show. Let's kick off with a bit of feedback, a bit of questions, a bit of what's been going on. A lot of ratings and reviews on iTunes recently. We got one from Belgium, one from Switzerland, and a double dip from America. First thing, thank you to everyone that takes time out to give us a rating and review. It means the world and helps us get out to more listeners. Secondly, thank you to everyone, no matter where in the world you are, for listening to The Mosh Zone. It's epic to see this little show from Australia get out to so many parts of the world and has so many invested, hardcore listeners. It's fucking epic. Makes me so, so fucking proud of this show and just so unbelievably excited to see that people like what we do. So thank you everyone, no matter where you are, how long you've been listening, all of that jazz, and thank you for getting into the Mosh Zone. So enough of that, enough of my ramblings, let's get into the main part of the show. This week I got to sit down with Mike of Angel Maker. First thing I got to say, thank you so very, very, very much dude for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. So who are Angel Maker? So for those unaware or uneducated, they are a Canadian deathcore outfit that formed around 2011. One EP, two albums, and two split albums to their name. Angel Maker are one of those bands that are at the forefront of the rebirth of the deathcore sound. They're an essential modern deathcore band, and two vocalists going on in this band. I've been a fan since about 2013 and I've been chasing Mike for a long time. So to get him on the show meant a lot for me, but also a lot for the show. It ticked a lot of boxes. It was a very long, in-depth, relaxed, exciting conversation. I hope you enjoy it. That chat with Mike is coming up now. So everyone gets the start off question the same. And when I mean a musician or an artist that opened your world to music existing doesn't have to be a heavy band. Like the example I throw out is at the age of five, I was obsessed with Aerosmith. Don't know why Aerosmith was my jam. Was there a band for you at a young age that you discovered and became obsessed with? Um, I would say probably I can think of two that kind of really started like my interest in just bands in general, I would say. So um, when I was a kid, I was really into Green Day. Mm-hmm. Um, the first Green Day record, American Idiot, like first for me at that age, um, uh, American Idiot was like huge. Like I heard that record. I was like, man, this band's so cool. I want to go see them. Um, I want to dress like them. Um, that was one of the bands. Actually, I can, I can think of three because I think my first record that I ever owned, like CD, I guess, um, would have been by a band called Good Charlotte. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Good Charlotte definitely was very uh, 
monumental for me. I definitely was like, these guys are so cool. They're dressed so cool. The music's like so cool. Um, yeah, Good Charlotte, Green Day. And there's a band here from Canada that not a lot of people know about, um, but they're, well, they do and they don't. I don't know. A lot of people think it's a guy, <laughs> but it's a whole band. They're called Billy Talent. Yeah. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, the very first, I think the very first Billy Talent CD, the self-titled, like the first one, I think that was maybe the first CD I ever owned. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's punk is kind of a natural thing for a lot of people at a young age to discover. But do you think there was a reason or was it an environmental kind of thing? Like it was in the background a lot. What made you gravitate to that? Because some people don't. They go straight into hip hop or they go to rap or they go to pop music. What brought you into that world, do you think? Mm, I don't know. I, I think I just, as a kid... I thought it was like so hardcore. Like mm -hmm. it obviously like is pretty commercial on the spectrum of things. Um, but yeah, like I always thought like as a kid that skateboarding and like all those things were like so cool and that um, I didn't know any of them, but like the kids in my area, you know, the, like the cool kids I perceived as were all like skateboarders or a little bit more like alternative and stuff like that. So I remember listening to that music and at that time it was probably mostly like through um tv channels like much music and them having like the videos music videos play like all day long that um i think you know the alternative lifestyle of that really like um appealed to me as a kid and i thought it was so cool and i wanted to be one of those cool kids you know <laughs> <laughs> that's natural though that's so natural we i think everyone listening can kind of in some way or shape understand that um but then you know if you're getting into this um what about discovering music are you at this age kind of a bit of a sponge or are you going out of your way to discover bands yourself like what were you like in those early years discovering because going from a good charlotte to what you do stylistically is polar opposites so there must have been a natural progression into getting into the heavier side of things for sure so i okay so from the kind of punk period of time um i definitely like I would say this had a factor, a very small factor, but just a little bit. I also like right around that time really got into um, mostly Eminem, mm -hmm. not necessarily rap as a whole, but Eminem. And um, I really liked how like also kind of in that realm, but another side of things that like it was pretty like explicit and like in your face and, and very like, um, you know, controversial and from there, I definitely, you know, got influenced to be a little bit more interested in like controversial music, for lack of a better term, you know, more punky, more metal, like I got into like System of a Down and kind of like stuff like that. Um, and started traveling down that rabbit hole. But on a side tangent from that, um, my dad has always really liked um, more of the traditional metal, you know, and and rock maybe let's not say necessarily metal but you know like guns and roses um deep purple um metallica um 
lots of those bands. So, you know, when I was growing up as a kid, dad would always put on whatever record he was vibing with. And, um, you know, I always thought it was like, oh, so cool. Like these bands and, you know, how they play and, and what they're doing, like really um, appealed to me. And I remember going through this like huge Guns N' Roses kick as a kid, you know, like, and just being like, man, Guns N' Roses is so cool. Like, <laughs> and, um, and I think it, it was, it ended up kind of being a combination of both those things where like I myself kind of grew up in like a little bit more like the punky, you know, kind of vibe of things. And, um, and then like my dad growing up, well, me growing up with him, obviously, and him listening to like more of the traditional um, heavy metal or like hard rock or kind of stuff like that, that um, I kind of started to combine those things and with a little bit of rap. But um, I remember the bands, though, that kind of really transitioned me to getting into heavier music. They're not heavy now or and weren't really at the time. But I remember my friend showing me like a sevenfold and um and slipknot newer age of um at that time um new metal that i was like wow this is really cool um and that definitely like really appealed to me that was the first time i heard screaming vocals was probably slipknot um the very first like avenge sevenfold record um you know with like waking the fallen and um yeah, definitely. Like that was kind of what started me into that. I'm also wearing an Alexis on fire t-shirt, but um, definitely like started hearing about those bands too. And uh, listening to a little bit more, you know, screaming ask music. And um, that was kind of where I was like situated in. I remember in grade eight for me, um, I went to my first real show and it was Alexis on fire. And um I was like, man, this is so crazy. Like, you know, the screaming and the singing and, and the full show and the mosh pit and everything like that. I was like, this is unreal. Like, I want to go to more shows like all the time. Um, and then right around that time, I think it was still in eighth grade. I had a buddy who showed me Job for a Cowboy. Really? And he was like, yeah, he was like, if you like screaming music, you got to hear this. And he showed me in two minutes of a machine. And I still remember to this day. I, you know, and it's got that scream, like in the first, you know, 20 seconds. And I was like, holy crap, this is insane. And um, admittedly, I didn't like it at first. I definitely felt like it was, in my opinion, like too extreme. Mm -hmm. But, you know, give me a week or two or three. And I was like, something about that I want to listen to more. And I think that was when I kind of like dove head head first, like um, into all the, the death core and, and all that stuff. I had kind of like started to take um, a little bit of the steps towards metal core and stuff at that time. I think like I had, you know, I, I still kind of liked like um, bullet for my Valentine and uh, some in flames. And actually I, I really liked a Treyu at mm -hmm. that time as well. Um, and so like I had, you know, started to kind of dance into the, uh, the heavy screaming, you know, stuff, but a lot of those bands still had a lot of the singing as well. And they didn't really do, you know, in my opinion, like low vocals, they kind of just stayed in the more higher register. And I remember hearing the lows for the first time with Job for a Cowboy. And I was like, this is this is something else like, you know, so I think that was 
that was kind of the start of it. And it was a pretty good time to kind of venture into that because I think when I was in grade eight, um, that was 2008. Mm -hmm. So that was like, in my opinion, kind of the peak of deathcore from 2008 to, you know, I don't know, 2008 and 2000, uh, sorry, 2007 to 2009. That's probably like my favorite years of deathcore. Even now, looking back, those are some of my like favorite albums of all time. So it was like a perfect time to really start to get into it. And I think that's what kind of molded me to being where I am now. Now I listen to a lot of deathcore still, but it's mostly like throwback stuff. And like I run a I run a playlist on mm. Spotify. Um uh, has like a I don't know, twelve hundred followers, likes or whatever. And it's just like my kind of uh curated playlist of like my favorite deathcore bands. I have a few other ones that are like I have like Deathcore from 2007, 2010, you know, all I basically went from 2005 to 2010, so I kind of curate those and run those and I do listen to those a lot, but yeah, nowadays I also listen to like a lot of hip hop and I listen to lots of other types of music, like even like lo-fi and just like chill music. I'm definitely more of a sponge now than I used to be, but um yeah, it's kind of a little bit of my background. Yeah, I think, as you said, those, you know, I remember that EP coming out and it just absolutely skyrocketed this phenomenon that we look back on now um, of Deathcore coming into the scene and it was the MySpace days, it was the, you know, yeah. the this culture of music and genre, you know, it came out of nowhere in many senses of the word. Like you said, people had left new metal and it started being you're either metalcore and then suddenly deathcore it was one or the other you know looking yeah. back as someone who clearly has a passion for it why do you think that genre became such a big thing during the 2007 to the 2010 like why do you think everyone started gravitating towards it i don't you know what i don't really like i I'm going to say, I don't really know, but I feel like maybe I do. Like I was, whenever I talk to friends who did live through it, um, they always have like slightly different perspective on it than I do, because I mean, I lived through it too, but I was, I wasn't performing. I wasn't mm -hmm. like part of it. I don't consider myself um, part of what would be loosely called the first wave of deathcore. I find that you know, with Decay coming out um, in 2012 that I think like from 2012 to now is what I would kind of consider the second wave of Deathcore. And um, I think with the first wave uh, and why we had so many cool bands coming out at that time and so many bands that wanted to do it, I think it was just, there wasn't as much rules. I'm not going to ever say music has rules, but with a lot of other more traditional styled bands like death metal or like metalcore, um, I feel like there's this like unwritten set of rules that like, you know, you have to play blast beats. You can't play breakdowns. You have to have a solo, you know, with metalcore, it's like, it has to have, um, you know, modern metal or like loosely, you know, hardcore based kind of parts to it, it has to have singing, um, you know, and it has to have like proper choruses and stuff like that. I think deathcore really like allowed for 
people to experiment and just like do whatever they wanted to do and um, be able to just make stupid heavy stuff with their friends you know in a garage and I think with deathcore as well um, this might sound strange but I just I think at the time because there wasn't any rules it's a lot easier to play like Mm -hmm. and that's why we had in some senses of things like what kind of ruined deathcore at that time was um, you know people just assumed it was all just breakdowns and uh and and at the time vocals hadn't really been i think established in the way they are now um so like lots of vocalists were doing inhales and um mostly basing their vocal style on that and i find with inhaled vocals they can be very similar sounding to other bands and vocalists so i think it did become a little oversaturated with the same thing you know just doing like breakdowns and inhales and if you weren't super good at your instrument you could play a pretty basic drum beat and just like fill it with breakdowns which are just chugs really Mm. and you know so I think that there was a lot of bands that were like well we can't riff super hard and I can't blast beat super hard and I can't sing so let's just start like a deathcore band and just be brutal and fucking play breakdowns and you know just play some ignorant drum beats and and inhale and yeah play piss stuff so I I think that that is a factor as to why that there was so many bands doing it I'm not saying every band did that definitely not there was tons of bands that knew how to riff knew how to blast knew how to fucking write a song that still played deathcore but I do think that um there was like that factor and i also do think on another side of things that there was a lot of labels that were kind of noticing what was happening and that's why around that time period from 2007 to 2010 there's lots of really amazingly well-produced records Mm. for deathcore that came out of that time as well um you you have both ends there's some really cool records that came out of that time that were just like garbage in production songwriting wise they're amazing but i think with certain labels you know knowing what was going on and picking it up early and and putting it out um that's what kind of why it became so big you know you got like job for a cowboys doom ep like suicide sounds the cleansing as blood runs black allegiance like um even bring me the horizon you know like a lot of those bands like came out you know 2007 2008 and they hadn't really established themselves much before that probably playing local shows and doing this and that, but it's not like they had a lot of, not a lot of like demo stuff. I'm sure they did, but you know what I mean? Like Mm. those records produced on major labels. And I think kids were like, Whoa, you know, like labels are picking this stuff up and this is becoming like a big deal. So how can, how can we be a part of that? You know, I think that might've been a factor as well. Yeah, I also think something you said, which which is very important in there, was it reached a point probably where it became like with all you know music trends, which you know they were it was at a time a bit of a trend. It became a bit oversaturated. There was too much of it, and then it was interesting that you know the whole phrase being a deathcore band became an ugly word. You know, there were mm-hmm, bands sure. going out of their way 
to make sure that they weren't called Deathcore. There was merch flying around. 100%. And now you guys, you know, we'll come into small Angel Maker specifics in a second, but I love this tangent we're on. And, you know, you guys are one of those bands, along with bands like Carcosa, Brand of Sacrifice, who ironically, those three in themselves are all Canadian. So I think there's something in saying that. (laughs) But um, there is now this interesting rebirth and revitalized genre. Um, yeah. Do you think it was important for the genre to go through that down point to then pick up? Because some of this music now that's coming out is very forward thinking. You know, you look back at 2007 or if you're in 2007 and you say, we're going to have bands like this. I think people said, no, they won't exist. But it's really exciting, the genre now. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, I think I do kind of think that like everything, um, especially in like this is I mean, deathcore is definitely not popular culture, but like Mm. in pop culture and everything, everything goes through this this circular trend where, you know, something that was cool 10 years ago isn't cool now. But 20 years from now, it could be the coolest thing in the world again, you know, and I think that deathcore at that time had ran through its period of being cool and there were so many bands that it was oversaturated and was becoming kind of for lack of a better term like boring Mm -hmm. um and i think you know being one of the kids who kind of grew up through it had to deal with like you know the the strife and bullshit of other people being like well you like deathcore like what are you dumb (laughs) you know like that made me and I feel like others really want to, you know, um, for, for people who wanted to keep up with it and, and stay and, you know, really put their passion into it. It made us want to write deathcore that would prove those people wrong. Like, you know, it's like I wanted to write music. Well, and, you know, decay isn't a, a perfect example of it. That was kind of just like we're high school kids and I just want to play deathcore and <laughs> just do it and uh we weren't really trying to like prove anything with decay um it was just kind of an emulation of what we enjoyed through the that period of time but i do feel like with dissentient and onward um we really and maybe even the first split ep like 2013 but we really tried to um you know prove to people that deathcore isn't just dumb caveman riffs and you know unintelligible vocals like we wanted to write something that i think you know proved to the death metal guys proved to like the metalcore guys that like we can write riffs we can make it catchy we can we can draw people in and um you know not make for lack of a better term the same mistakes that the bands that came before us did you know, even with like merch and stuff like that, it's like some merch from back in the days is like the coolest thing. Don't get me wrong. But some of it's also like the cringiest, <laughs> like worst merch. Like I, I can't even imagine that being put on a shirt and people wearing it. Like, you know what I mean? So like, and some of that stuff, you know, is a learning lesson too. Like I can think of like our first merch was probably not super great. Um, But I think that, the bands that are out now like us and brand and carcosa and 
I'm like Shadow of Intent, Signs of the Swarm, you know, all those kinds of bands, Lorna Shore. I mean, they're a little older than us, but I think that all of these types of bands, you know, wanted to do something different, but, you know, play what we love and, um, you know, attainable to a larger audience than just like what the perceived notion of deathcore is, I guess. You know? Yeah, I think that's really well put um, and spot on. Yeah, and and when you mention that merch, yeah, like I mean, I I say to anyone that's listening here that might and might be of the younger generation, and I know there's a, a lot of you that might maybe are, go and Google like early Suicide Silence T-shirts and Whitechapel shirts that they had the logo print on the front, and then they had the obscenely large lyrical print on the back that was like pull the trigger or something you know it was um oh yeah and all the neon colors everyone had the weird kind of splattered neon oh thank god we're away from that merch because um yeah yeah you look back on it and you go did i ever buy that why would i buy that why would i wear that um but i do feel like there's time and place for it there's cool it's cool when some bands nowadays do do like a throwback design Mm -hmm. and it's just like kind of like wow that shirt reminds me of a 2008 deathcore t-shirt but i i like how we're not all in Mm. that world Mm. still Mm. like you know it's important and it also it's important that the music has evolved now I want to come back to, you know, one thing that you're definitely known for is your vocal ability and your vocal talent, which, you know, anyone that knows the music has progressed and got, you know, as anyone does, your skills have gotten better and better and better. But what, Thank you. what was the moment or do you know the moment when you went from being a fan of music and deathcore to saying, actually want to give this a go was there a moment when you decided to give it a go and then how did you teach yourself how to do it yeah i can i can think of almost the exact moment um so when i was in so like grade eight was when i first kind of started listening to it i would say grade nine for me uh which is 2009 so like luckily it's easy to explain to people when i was in grade eight I was in, it was 2008 when I was in grade nine, it was 2009 when I was in grade 10, it was 2010. So onward until I graduated high school in grade 12, which is when Decay came out. So that was my last year of high school. Um, but yeah, so 2008, I think I was just, just kind of getting my feet wet with deathcore. 2009, I think I was pretty full head first. I think I started like going to a lot of shows, anything that came by, I'd be like, mom, you got to drive me down to this place and I'm going and come pick me up at like 11, you know? Like, <laughs> um, and I, I think it was probably around uh, 2010. I think it's probably maybe t- between 2009, 2010 that um, <clears throat> a bunch of my friends and one of them being my guitarist, uh, Colton, mm-hmm they all started to play in a band together. Um, they would mostly do, it was definitely more metalcore driven at that time. Colton and I were heavily into deathcore, but um, Colton was already very good at guitar. He's been playing guitar like his whole life. So uh, he started, well, he joined slash started a band with a few other guys and they would play cover songs. They did like Parkway Drive and... Um, I think they did like a day to remember, um, you know, some other kind of metalcore bands, heaven shall burn, mm-hmm. um, stuff like that. And, um, I remember just being like, man, 
all these guys, they're like doing it. And I don't know how to fucking play an instrument. I don't know how to do anything, but I want to be part of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so around that time, I was like, man, I'm going to, I'm going to learn how to do vocals. Like, you know, I, I had tried previously before that to learn guitar, um, like once or twice, maybe when I, I think seventh grade or something like that, I was like, Oh, I want to learn guitar. And I was pretty heavily into sports as a kid. Um, and so like, I never found myself having time to really sit down and practice. And that was like the thing is like, I took some lessons, tried to learn it, didn't commit to it, didn't practice. So I was like, ah, I don't know if this is for me. And it's something I kick myself for still now, because I would love to know how to play guitar and love how to play an instrument. Um, but yeah, it was probably around, you know, that time that I was like, man, I'm going to, I'm going to learn how to do vocals. And I definitely started where I feel like at the time, a lot of people start. I don't think it's the same now. You know, all these awesome uh, pages that are dedicated to teaching people how to do vocals and and vocals in a totally different way than probably I learned or would have learned. Um, Because I find nowadays people are teaching uh, mostly how to do false chord vocals Mm -hmm. um, first. And that was, I learned false chords like, like five years after I'd done vocals. Like, so I started with fry vocals at first. And um, well, actually, I'm going to backpedal a little bit. When I very first started, I started with inhales because mm-hmm. that was what I heard. That's what I like knew that people did. I was like, oh, yeah, you, you know, you suck the air backwards, <laughs> kind of. You can make these brutal noises. And um, started with inhales not for my highs but i mostly was just like oh let me figure out how to do lows and so i was like you know doing some little bit of inhales this and that you know pig squeals and easy stuff like that and then with my highs it was more of like a whisper kind of thing i was like what if i talk like kind of evil like you know like then that that's kind of close so then it was just like building the the strength and like progression behind that um i did quickly start to move away from inhales because it was at that time um kind of like a faux pas people mm. were like if you inhale you know you suck at vocals kind of thing so and i i was pretty heavy into um like blogs and message boards and like uh, even like youtube and stuff like that where i was like reading other people's opinions and comments and stuff like that um so i tried to stray away from doing the inhales and i started to teach myself um lows exhaled but still for me they were all based on like a fry register and then it was really just like practice a lot with that like my buddy uh colton my guitarist now he had a little multi-use practice amp and it had like little effects and like eqs built into it It he used it for guitar mostly but it wasn't just a guitar amp it was like a multi-use amp and we would plug like microphones into there and mess around and do like covers and just you know stuff for fun in our basement or bedroom you know and that was like when i first really started to learn how to do vocals and then if you fast forward maybe yeah, so I think that was a little bit closer to 2009 because I think in 2010 
um, the cover band that he was playing with, uh, they they had been doing some cover shows, you know, some like kind of like battle of the band kind of, you know, local cover show battle of the band things. And they had a vocalist who also screamed. He mostly he didn't really do lows, though. He had like a lower reg, like a lower end, but he kind of kept it like mid to high. And um, they had the show upcoming, uh, coming up and, you know, they were having a tough time scheduling practice with the vocalist specifically. And so I remember going to all their practices and watching them jam and waiting for the vocalist to show up. And, you know, it was getting closer to the day when they were supposed to play the show. And they were like, well, if, you know, guy doesn't show up, uh, what are we going to do? And then, so at that time I was like, man, I'll do vocals for you guys. Like, you know, I'm ready to do it. I've been practicing for like a whole year kind of at that point. And um, they were like, okay, so, you know, if, if the guy doesn't show up, then um, we'll, we'll get you to do it. It ended up happening that he did show up. He did play the show and he did a pretty good job for somebody who didn't show up to like any practices beforehand. (laughs) And um, so they kind of kept going with him a little bit. They started writing their first original material, which was still metalcore based and metalcore driven um, with the other vocalist. And they were having some similar issues with just like commitment and stuff like that. So they ended up kind of kicking him out. And uh, because Colton was in the band at that time or band cover band thing, he was like, you know, Mike's down to do vocals and he's, he's pretty good, you know, in context. And, um, you know, if we wanted to do that, we can. Casey used to play bass and Cody and Colton were playing guitar. And so Casey wanted to stop playing bass and he wanted to do vocals because I guess he had also been practicing vocals quite a bit at that time. And they asked me if I wanted to join, but they said that they wanted to have two vocalists. Mm. And to be honest, and I, t- I tell a story all the time, I did not want to be in a band with two vocalists. <laughs> I was like, no, I want to be in my own band. I want to do vocals myself. You know, I, w- I want to do that. Because as a kid, like those things are so much more like, you know, big to you or like important. You're like, no, I want to be, you know, for terrible lack of a better term i want to be the center of attention i want to you know like and i remember not being into it at first but i I wanted to be in a band so bad that i was like sure like i'll do it and but on what my one condition was i don't mind being in a band with two vocalists but i don't really want to play metalcore Mm -hmm. so if we could transition the music to more of a deathcore sound then I was down and Colton was like full-blown deathcore kid as well as me. So he was down. Um, the other members didn't really listen to deathcore very much. They were still pretty like metalcore driven, but they were like, well, show us some songs and, you know, we'll see if we can kind of get down to it. We ended up kind of corralling everyone and getting them interested in deathcore, which was cool. Um, and yeah, we started writing like our first like original material and stuff like that. I think we were still doing cover shows because I remember doing maybe two, 
two cover shows with them. And I think same kind of thing. We would cover like Parkway Drive or, um, and uh, Parkway Drive. And I think, you know, I, I don't even know if we did any deathcore covers really. We were still pretty like metalcore. And I, it was like trying to push them in the right direction for me. Um, and uh, yeah, started writing original material. The original material was still pretty metalcore driven. And by metalcore at this point, I mean like, Definitely more like Parkway Drive metalcore, you know, mm -hmm. no singing, but very like that kind of style. Um, and I think it was, you know, around 20, probably end of 2010, 2011, that we really started to figure out what was going on, like playing deathcore, writing deathcore songs. Colton and I had been writing songs on the side by ourselves just for fun like um off decay like blaze and uh satan force both mm. those songs specifically were songs that colton and i had written by ourselves we were just kind of messing around with them and colton's like oh i wrote this riffs and you know like you should do some vocals on it and i'm like oh hell yeah and you know record really bad you know demos to those songs um and that was kind of like where that stuff started it was also really cool i feel really um i feel really privileged to have had the option in high school where my high school had a lot of um digital media uh courses that they offered which was pretty rare for high schools around my area they had um a video games uh class like video game creation class they had graphic design photography uh, sound recording. And um, I think there was one more, but I can't remember. It was like website design or something like that. And I took like all of the courses. I <laughs> failed miserably at the game's design, which was incredibly hard. <laughs> but um, using graphic design and sound recording was actually where like Angel Maker really first kind of started off. Um, we were actually called a different name for about a year before we really figured out like Angel Maker as a name. Uh, we were called the Human Condition, but we also figured out that there's there was multiple bands called that. And it's funny, <laughs> you know, six years, seven years later, whatever it is, we ended up playing with a band which was one of the bands that had that name already called the Human Condition, <laughs> which was pretty crazy. Um, but yeah, we we, we kind of really started to birth Angel Maker uh, in those classes in high school. Um, like in sound recording, we would meet up and, you know, play demo material or like work on, you know, I didn't necessarily record vocals at school, but Colton would be like, well, what do you think about this riff? Or he'd program drums and be like, yeah, well, maybe like kind of something like this. And we'd also spend a lot of time listening to like other bands in those courses and we would do, I did well in that class. I definitely, we both did the curriculum and the criteria, which helped in recording ourselves and figuring out how to do demo stuff um, in high school. And then with the graphic design class, like I actually made the Angel Maker logo that we still use in that class, like in high school. So it was really like a good opportunity to start learning skills that you know, kids nowadays have such access to through 
Photoshop being super accessible and all these YouTube tutorials and courses and, and, you know, all these things that I think has really skyrocketed the genre and music in itself nowadays, but we were really like right on that first wave of everything. Like even Facebook, like, you know, MySpace had just kind of died and Facebook was really starting to take off. And we were like right at the right age to be like, how do we grow a Facebook? Like, what is the best way to do these things? And that's kind of what ended up leading us towards, I feel like really being a band was we had, you know, this decent looking Facebook page, a custom logo, you know, we had demo material that was like listenable. It was pretty rough, but listenable. And then we ended up in, I think it was, 2011, we had a local engineer hit us up through Facebook and he was like, Hey, I heard your uh, demo on your Facebook page. Would you guys want to come and record a song for free? And we were like, hell yeah, let's, let's do it. You know? And that song ended up being squirrels, which is Mm. like the bonus track Mm -hmm. on decay. So that was like the first song we ever recorded, which is probably in 2011 recorded professionally. Um, and then we loved how it sounded and we loved the experience as well. So we ended up going back and doing decay and that engineer at the time when we were doing squirrels, um, he had recorded some other local deathcore bands. And that was like right around the time where we started, you know, early later high school and through Facebook and social media and stuff like that, we started to realize like, Oh, there's, you know, there is other bands that play the same music that we play in our city. And so we started to kind of become tight with those guys. Like uh, there was Argent Strand and Between Seas. And there's a band from uh, Alberta called Cleanse Kill. And a bunch of bands kind of like that, that like, you know, it was like, oh, oh we, we got to be friends with these guys. So, you know, we'd like <laughs> talk to the guys in Argent Strand and talk to the guys in Between Seas. And I would do like covers of their songs or, you know, and we'd hang out and stuff like that. And really helped establish us into the, like the local scene, which kind of, you know, with everything I've said and everything that kind of comes together with, you know, getting a demo made into a real song, connecting with the local scene and, um, you know, all of those kinds of things. That was, I think that was when I started to feel like we're actually doing this. Like, you know, we're a real band. I've figured out how to do my vocals. Um, And, you know, things are starting to kind of feel real. Like, I still felt like, you know, we're just a bunch of high school kids just like messing around playing metal. And, uh, you know, didn't really think it could really think it could go anywhere. Um, But, you know, it did start to pick up for us. And through social media and stuff like that, um, like we had, I think, Decay premiered on like at the time was like a big deathcore YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. And um, there was bands like, or there was companies like Total Deathcore and like Duckcore and Chug, like pre-Chugcore kind of. Um, There was lots of like promotion websites like that, that we were like keeping in touch with and being like, yeah, we got new stuff. Like, can you premiere it and blah, blah, blah. Like as kids would do now with like Slam Worldwide or, you know, all these other pages. And, um, I feel like it was all around that time that everything started to really like feel like, man, like 
this could actually turn into something like this this could be more than maybe just us messing around and playing like small local shows to 20 people you know so. well i think i think decay was i heard about it because of one of those blog websites that you were mentioning and the thing about that time was there was a lot of the music kind of always popping up you know they always had that right side of the page that had you know the oh, best yeah. releases and it seemed at the time that decay got to the top or one of the top two and it stayed there for months and it was so heavily liked and listened and reviewed that I think you guys, it helped that decay for as young as you were and as inexperienced as you guys were, the music was clearly above the pack. There was something there that people, I remember reading how young you guys were at the time when I was listening to decay and I was like, no, it's not possible. There's a maturity in that EP that you go, you know, as you said, you look back, it, it has got some tropes and it has got some very cliches, but it's because of how young you were. But then you wouldn't yeah. believe how young you were when you hear the music. It was crazy how good that EP is. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. It's nuts, man. Like, And we were saying before I started recording, the other thing that you guys have is you're an independent band. Now, you're yeah. probably a band that um, at that time, it realistically is the only avenue you can go down. But you guys have this thing with things like The Decay where it's people want that music. They are willing to buy those physical copies up. You know, you put up like, say, it's like, oh, we've got 500 more. Bang, within a day, it's gone. I mean... There's something there. You guys, do you notice that there's something there in this Angel Maker camp that a lot of bands, you know, and I mean this as a compliment, would be envious of? You guys are achieving things that bands wish they could achieve. Yeah, I, I notice it and I don't really know. Like, I don't know how it's been this way for so long. Mm. I feel like um, I have a little bit of, this is just my own opinion. I have a little bit of like an inclination. I feel like nowadays why um, our fan base is how it is. I do feel like, um, like I always strive to be very, um, I don't know how to say this. Like I like having a tight and close relationship with my fans not in like a weird way i just like i like letting them don't know that i appreciate them and like that we appreciate them and we try to listen to what they want and you know we're not always kneeling to their everything that they want and need but like i do notice i think it was as we were coming up as you know a band and everything like that that like sometimes you meet these deathcore bands or people in bands like ours and like they're honestly just not really cool people mm. and they're they're kind of mean and they're kind of jaded and and you know it's kind of like they feel like they don't need you mm. as like a fan you know oh, i'm just writing music because i want to write it and like yeah i mean that's super important and that's uh, why I write music too, but I do realize, and I realized for a, quite a long time that, that without our fans, we're literally nothing. Like, mm. 
if nobody comes out to our shows, if nobody buys our merch, if nobody cares, then we're going to disappear. We're going to be nobody, you know? And so from like a younger age and something I still do now is like, I try to treat everybody with, you know, a lot of like respect and like um, appreciation for the support that we do have. Um, obviously like as times go on and like, I'm only human, I miss messages here and there. And I, you know, I can't keep up with everything I can nowadays, but it's one of the reasons why like, I love running the merch table now is I love having that personal connection with people and them come up, shake their hand and take a picture with them and, you know, do any of those things that I can, because without them, like I said, we're nothing. And I don't know, I do feel like people, as much as the music is really important, I feel like people like having some kind of connection to the artists that, you know, we are and they want to feel important even in just like a small way. And so like, if I can make, you know, a like a picture last, you know, like that means a, somebody's gonna be a fan for the next 10 years, like, I'll take a picture, you know, like, and that's why, like, I shake everybody's hand who buys some merch, like, I let them know that I appreciate them, because, um, you know, I feel like it goes a lot deeper, and, and makes them want to come back and be this, like, diehard fan, because I know that our fans are super diehard, like, we, there's other bands we tour with, and we've played with, and, and I see that they, don't have that connection with their fans and I I don't know I just I, I like having that with our fans and I, I don't know if like it's been like that for longer than I see and maybe that's why there is this like you know want and need for people to acquire Angel Maker merch and CDs and stuff like that but um I don't know I just feel like we've we've always tried to be the best we can as a musician, but also as people. And, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, these, these are the nice Canadian boys, you know, <laughs> like, and they want to come on and see us. They want to come and hang out. And they're like, man, I didn't expect you to be so nice and stuff like that. And I was like, I think it's because there's this large stigma that, you know, lots of deathcore bands are just like these dudes who just like think they're pissed and angry and you know and maybe they are but like you know it's like this whole persona thing and like I don't ever care about that like we even get messages sometimes and we post like I don't know maybe make a post on Instagram about something you know and people are like well I thought you guys were these like big tough guys like you know this isn't very tough of you it's like I've literally never <laughs> tried to be that like no. i you know like, i don't think you know you, i think angel maker as you said i think it's something unique and it's why people connect and i think it's many factors i think one the music is a grade it's outstanding you know if the music was crap i don't think <laughs> i don't think people would really be into it and i think one thing sure. one thing you mentioned is you guys are very personable you are very down to earth which you know Deathcore aside, a lot of musicians to many listeners don't feel very personable. So you guys have that. I think the other thing that you guys have that maybe some people who are into the band realise, but maybe some people that don't realise, is 
you guys have been kind of like slowly but surely grinding, slowly but surely going up step by step on the ladder. We had a period with Deathcore where bands would come out and overnight they were massive. You guys are yeah. getting massive in an organic way. You know, it's Pretty it's sure. something that lasts long. Um, I think it helps that you guys also have done things like, you know, Aussie listeners. Every uh, A lot of Aussie listeners will know because you did a split with A Night in Texas. You know, Deathcore yeah. bands don't do split albums, you know. That's rare. No, at that time, yeah, there was. That's not really very rare, many man. Like unheard of. You know, hardcore bands and throwback punk bands did it, but a deathcore band—you've done two of them—is um, <laughs> yeah. it's rare. But you know, it's it's also exciting because I think, as I mentioned about momentum, you know, you look at Dissentient, and then you had the split with a night in Texas, and then you had yeah. the self-titled. We can also see a maturity in what you guys are doing. Um, self-titled, I feel like, is a really big release for you guys because it showed that you weren't a one-trick pony. We hope so. I mean, like, talking back to something you brought up when it was like, when, you know, in context, like, when did I kind of realize, like, we were, you know, really, like, more than a garage band and a local band is, like, when Dissension came out, like, everything changed. Like, mm -hmm you know decay was great and decay helped put us out there in the world and started the momentum and everything like that and i split ep we did um with isolations and lament like i feel like that helped in some ways get our name a little bit out to the states like both those bands were from michigan at the time and there's a pretty strong scene kind of you know along the eastern kind of seaboard over there with like chicago and um you know even like Florida and stuff like that, or like, and you know, it kind of around that area, there's some stronger um, scenes and out here West it's, it's, I mean, unless you're in California, like the scenes aren't anything like in the States. So like, I feel like that kind of helped set our feet into the ground with like America a little bit. And um, yeah, but when, di when dissension came out, like that was like, everything changed. Like people were like, this record is amazing. Like there's, you know, it felt like people were like, there's no other record right now that's doing mm. it. Like there was bands that put out amazing records in 2015 and bands way bigger than us. Um, you know, I remember jamming, I think Carnifex put out a record right mm -hmm. around that year. And I'm being like, oh man, this is top notch, you know, like, um, but yeah, we started getting like all this exposure and people being like, you got a tour, like, you know, we, we, we got to see you guys, we got to do these things. And we self-booked uh well kind of self-booked we had like um a guy we knew at the time help us book like a canadian tour we did that canadian tour and that was the first time we met falsifier and that was cool because it was like i uh, i actually had taken an interest into other canadian bands um i made this list and it was like tiered of like the biggest canadian deathcore bands and i was like you know i want to be like that band you know i want to be like this band because there's bands like blind witness and mm -hmm. um you know despised icon and um you know bands like that or like depths of hatred was pretty established and like obliterate and stuff like that that it had already kind of been doing what we we're doing and their older dudes um com they're, they're not that much older but you know compared to <laughs> us at the time i was like oh man like you know i want to do stuff with those guys so we did like our run with false fire and that was great and then it was after that tour 
we had a booking agent who was like, I want to pick you guys up. I want to work with you guys. I want to make sure you guys get to tour the States and, you know, do these things. And so we did our first headliner, um, just kind of trying it out. And man, the shows for like, insane like for for like a band like yeah we'd been a band for a little bit but you know just going from a local band that got to open some cool shows um some bigger bands but didn't you know really get anything going from that that it was like here we are doing like a full u.s tour and some of these shows are sold out there's like hundreds of people here that know the lyrics to our songs and like that was just incredible and then it was right after that that i feel like because that tour did really well because i i heard at the time that we were like outselling some major Mm -hmm. kind of tours that were coming through so that was really like starting to gain traction for us and uh yeah then we got offered summer slaughter and that was like insane like i was like there's no way like this is happening because i had gone to previous summer slaughters and um you know, and recognize how massive a lineup it is. And we got that offer and did that. And I feel like from that moment, like on, it was like, this is, this is real. Like, you know, it it was real before that, but it was like, man, like we can't stop now. Like we, we, we gotta keep going. We gotta keep doing stuff. So that's when like the grind really, really started was like, you know, dissension had come out. It was like a year later. We're doing summer slaughter. People are freaking out, wanting to buy our records, wanting to do these things. And then, yeah, we started to talk to you a night in Texas about doing a split with them. And it's funny you brought it up the way you did. Like I always loved the Australian scene over, like over where you guys are. Like the the deathcore bands that came out of Australia were just like amazing. Like mm. you know, Signal Firing Squad never gets talked about enough, but like mm-hmm. Signal Firing Squad blew my mind as a kid. You know, you got Thyratus Murder, uh, Resist the Thought was also a super tight band. Um, you know, uh, The Red Shore, mm-hmm. you know, there was like so many really cool bands that were doing it. And I remember right around the time Dissentient came out, A Night in Texas put out The God Delusion. And they would be like very comparable records, I guess, because they came out at the same time. We're both deathcore bands. We're both, we had some melody to us, you know, each and whatever. And I came up with this idea and I was like, man, like, why don't we just do a split EP with these guys? Like, instead of it being like a competition as to like what band's better, why don't we just like team up? And then like, they get like some of our um, loose, like North American fan base and we get some of their Australian fan base and, you know, they kind of cross and, you know, and ended up doing that. And I feel like it, it worked out great for us, um, which was awesome. But yeah, like going back to your original comment, like when we started writing for the self-titled, there was a lot of pressure to Mm. meet up the expectations that Dissentient had already uh, brought that it was like, wow, like a record's done so well for us. So like, I don't want to be a one trick pony. Like, you know, the split songs that we did with A Night in Texas also did really well, but they still weren't in any way and aren't still now like as big as the songs off dissension and so it's like wow like how do we how do we do this again you know like <laughs> and we'd grown a lot like you said we'd we'd learned a lot and and learned things that 
maybe didn't work so well. Um, but also like our tastes had changed. So it was for lack of a better term, like difficult to figure out how to write a new record, but keep the old stuff that everyone loves intact, but still be able to like have artistic freedom into writing stuff that we want to write rather than just being like, here's a version two of an album we already put out. So that was a difficult process, but I'm super glad that the self-titled was received as it is. And I feel like one thing myself that I, I learned a lot through Dissentient and kind of the years moving towards the self-titled was um, I didn't, I didn't always write songs because I wanted to say something in the past. Like there were just like songs and like artistic expression. And I feel like this self-titled was the first time that Casey and I like really started to talk about personal things and, and human emotion and stuff that like everybody goes through. And so that was like a big thing for me where I feel like I had done certain songs here and there in the past, like abysmal off dissension is definitely like, you know, more about human emotion and feeling um, and like leech for sure. Like, you know, they start to like delve on those things, but there was a lot of songs off dissension that were just like stories, you know, and we still write songs that are stories um, because people connected different songs for different reasons, but the self-titled was definitely like the first step into me writing songs that I feel like could connect to people on a greater level um, of like feeling and emotion. So I'm glad that it ended up, you know, being well received and, and not feeling like we had to just write dissentient again for people <laughs> to enjoy the music. So, Well, yeah, it's important, you know, and it's important for the longevity of the band. You know, we can't just, you know, even though it's a banger, we can't have another Shia LaBeouf um, track. <laughs> Um, which well we did bloodthirsters so that yeah, was like yeah. that was the throwback to yeah. that you know we keep, keep it yeah. in mind but, but you, know, <laughs> you know what i'm saying like you can't just have a yeah, whole no, for sure another release um but you know i think it's important that also you know we talked before about how you know much attention your fans give you with merch and cds and backing you guys with tours um which it, it's great to see that your show's keep going and going and you're going to Europe next year, you know, getting back yeah. kind of thing. But uh, my question in this is, you know, being independent is something that not a lot of bands can do for longevity. You know, they stay independent for a bit and the moment they can, they jump and which is understandable, yeah. but you guys are showing that you can stay independent. But the question is, are you always going to be independent? Have you had offers? Is it something that has been a challenge? Because you guys seem to navigate independent artistry really well. I appreciate that. We we have had many different offers over the years. Um, tons of really recognizable labels in the industry. Um, but yeah, we just... I have, <laughs> I have a tough time losing control of the things that I love and that I'm passionate about. I'm, I'm definitely a control freak. I always want to be able to, you know, 
control my destiny, control my future, control the things that I love, um, you know, in a healthy way. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I just, one thing we've just always had a very tough time with is just like letting go of those things. And that's one reason why we haven't wanted to work with a label um, for, for that reason, you know, a lot but I think also like another reason for us was one thing we decided to do at a young age like right at the inception of the band was and this this won't work for everyone um for sure so you know take it as is but we decided to not take any money from the band like mm -hmm. for years like six years like we didn't take any money. We just invested all the money that we made from the band back into the band. Like, and we had this band fund where that would help cover tour or sound, you know, recording or merch or any of those things. And luckily I also have like really supportive parents. So when we were younger, you know, if it was like, oh, well we need, you know, a bunch of money for merch, like, my parents would be like, okay, well, we'll give you the money, but we expect it back. And, and I've always, always paid them back. There's never, it's never just been free money for the sake of money. Like tell the guys, Hey, you know, we got t-shirts made, you know, my parents helped out pay for it. You know, three quarters of this money has to go back to them or whatever it is, mm -hmm. you know? And like there, everyone was always cool with that. And so the band has always had money reserved for the things that we need. And I feel like something that really um, pulls bands into signing record label uh, deals is that, you know, they need the money. Like they don't want to, or not even the want, they don't have the money to pay for recording. And they're not going to, and this is where I'm saying this isn't going to work for everyone because not everybody has, you know, awesome supportive parents or down to basically give them a small loan to make things work ahead. Like I understand that's, I'm not telling people that like, that's how you have to do it. And I'm, I feel extremely lucky to have had that experience, but I do think that lots of younger bands who are just getting into it and they kind of strike gold off, you know, a record or something like that. Um, you know, they're running, out of money or they don't have a lot of money. So they sign to like a label because the label's like, Hey, or we'll give you like fucking $50,000 up front, you know, or whatever, like depending on the deal, obviously, but you know, and that's a huge number for people. That's like, wow, we could studio time, music videos, tours, merch, you know, like everything and everything. Um, but we've never needed that money. So mm -hmm. like, that's one reason why we've always stayed independent is because we have saved all of our money and, you know, had enough of a choice to decide on where we want to spend that money. Um, you know, obviously we weren't making money for a long time. You know, you, you make money, but you have a lot of costs that and expenses that overtake, you know, your profits. But there was obviously a period in time where we started making money as a band um, so we could cover our expenses, uh, and have the options to do what we want. So that was like one reason why we've always stayed independent is because the, the little like 
not little, but, but you know, whatever it is, the dollar figures that get thrown out by a label, like they don't really mean anything to us. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, yeah, going back, it's like, I have a tough time being like, this label owns this music mm-hmm. and you get paid a percentage of the earnings from that, but they still own the music. Like I just, I can't, I can't be comfortable giving away something that I've worked so hard for and, and into hands of people that literally look at you just like a dollar sign. Mm-hmm. And they're like, cool, we own your stuff and we're making money off you. So here's some chump change, you know, kind of thing. Like, I just, I can't do that. Um, no, and hey. to answer your question moving forward, I'll, do you need to say anything? No, no, um, I was just going to say one thing, you know, I think it's really interesting that you say that because I think some people, I've seen people comment on certain artists and they say, well, why is this EP on Spotify, but this album isn't on Spotify? Well, the reason is, is the band don't actually have the rights to that album or EP because yeah. they signed that deal. So unfortunately, until eight years pass or 10 years pass yeah. when that expires, you're not going to see that album on Spotify or 100%. Um, iTunes, which is why it's great when a band like Angel Maker stay independent, you get all that music on your streaming services because the band has the rights to those yeah. songs. It's important, dude. Yeah. Very important. For sure. Yeah. We uh, we like having those that power in our hands that mm-hmm. we can decide our own future, our own fate. Um but to answer your question about like moving forward, so we signed a distribution deal mm-hmm. with a company called Blood Blast, um, maybe a year year two ago, and we'll be putting out our material through them for this record. Uh, the benefit of the digital distribution deal that we signed is we own a hundred percent of the rights to all of our music. Um, so we didn't sign anything away in terms of the ownership and they just take a percentage of the, uh, money that's made through digital distribution. So we still have all of the rights and freedom to do anything we want with any of the physicals, any, anything like that. And it's kind of like the deal we've been looking for and why we stayed independent for so long is that. I want to be able to own my music and I want to be able to have, you know, say into certain things that happen with it. And through Blood Blast, we've had, you know, nothing but great experiences so far and um, an awesome team that works with us as well. Some of my, one of my really good friends is like our A&R. So like, it's a pleasure working with him all the time. And um, I just feel like, we get to keep our interests safe and get the freedom to choose what we want to do moving forward and not be like stuck into this like rigid record deal label thing. Um, and I think that in some senses of things, I think it's, it's going to be, I don't know, maybe the new way of doing everything because, you know, Blood Blast also has Shadow of Intent right now. They have Brand of Sacrifice, you know, they have these other bands that I consider, you know, friends of mine, but also bands that are like currently doing it, you know, and and doing it well that like, and have been independent just like us. They're, you know, bands that have been around maybe not quite as long as us, but 
um, still all with the same mentality of um, owning their material and having the rights and everything retained and having like freedom to do what they want. So I, I think that that's going to be the new way. I don't, I don't know. I don't think that labels necessarily are going to have this huge longevity in certain genres and in certain niches. I understand like in different genres of music, like there's so much more that can go on. Like when you look at like pop music or like hip hop and stuff like that, like I understand like they're still not looking out for your best interests. Don't get me wrong. But you know, with, when you're talking millions instead of 10, 20, 30,000, you know, whatever, whatever it is for like deathcore bands, you know, you can do a lot with a million dollars, like a couple million dollars. You can get on, you know, build, you know, huge everything. You, you could just, there's so much more exposure to those things. So I understand why labels will always have a place. Um, I just don't think right now that it's it's i don't know there's not longevity in the way that it's being done right now mm. so i don't know yeah look I, I love it and um you know i think like, like you said you can see all over the place that you know bands more bands are doing it um and it's great because if you've got the the rights to the music i can always access your music in this digital world it's very important to someone like myself you know that yeah, it's just it's random off the top of my head. The other day, I wanted to have a metalcore flashback, so I was like, "Oh, I want to go listen to It Dies Today." So, yeah. and I went to go to their Spotify, and the album I want, which is the album they did that is banging, is not on fucking Spotify. I was like, "Well, there you yeah. go. They don't have rights to it." So, look, power to you, man. Keep Angel Maker doing what you do. Um, Appreciate it. Also, really excited because if anyone has been paying attention, there will be something soon because Angel Maker are teasing, sure. you know, it looks like a video clip. Um, something, <laughs> something's coming, um, which is oh, great. Oh, very soon. Yeah. Which is great. Um, and look, onwards and upwards, man, for this sensational thing you guys do. Um, Thank you. Maybe one day I said to Johnny, we need to get your asses down to Australia. Um, I would love that. We, look... Let's get a night in Texas, Angel Maker and Thy Art Tour going. Um, that would be huge. Uh, now, before we finish, dude, yeah, you get pick your poison. Now, All right. This segment, um, nearly 180 different guests have had. Everyone's had it. <laughs> um, basically, what happens is I give you two options and you pick your yeah. favorite of the two. Now, with, okay. with this... You don't need to justify your answer, but you're welcome to justify your answer. Okay. Fair. Okay. okay. Now, put it this way. I had, um, I've been honored to have Alex uh, from Despised on the show. He nice. hated this segment. So, it, <laughs> so um, he, he told me when we finished recording, he said, um, fuck you. He said, I don't hate you, but I hated you for that segment. So... <laughs> Um, All right, I'll be prepared mentally now. <laughs> okay, so uh, would you rather a pizza or a burger? Mm. Oh, that's tough. Uh, man. See what I mean? They're not easy. Yeah. Mm. Uh, 
probably off the top of my head, I'd say pizza, but my, my answer to, if somebody's like, if you had to eat a food for the rest of your life, like one food every day, I would always say a sandwich. Cause you can have a sandwich like 150 different ways. That's true. And a burger is pretty damn close to a sandwich. So, but I love pizza. So. Okay. <laughs> so we'll go with pizza. Um, Chinese takeaway or Indian takeaway? Wow, that's also very difficult. Um, oh. I'm going to go with Indian. I love the spice. Mm-hmm. I'm like really into spicy food. So I feel like they got a lot more options in terms of the, uh, the spice levels there. What about smooth peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter? I don't really eat too much peanut butter, but if I had to choose, if there was peanut butter on a table and some toast, I'd probably go with the crunchy. Okay. Um, soft taco or crunchy taco? I love crunchy tacos. Those are my my favorite. Whenever I make tacos at home, uh, my girlfriend and I always have this inner debate where she only wants soft tacos and I, I only <laughs> want the hard tacos. So we have to make both. <laughs> the only problem with crunchy tacos is they do rip the fuck out of your mouth. Like the roof of your mouth. Like it's just, oh, but they're amazing, but abusive. Like it's an abusive food, yeah. basically. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. Uh, taco or nacho? Mm, I think nachos yeah. for me. Yeah, fuck yeah. yeah. Always, always the nachos. Yeah. Um, Coke or Pepsi? I don't really drink either. I don't really drink much dark pop. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to not drink pop in general nowadays. I know it's such a lame thing to say, no. <laughs> but no. um, over Pepsi. I used to drink a lot of like Coke in high school. Just be like, oh, give me a fucking Coke, <laughs> you know. And like, I used to love that. So I'm definitely a little bit more of a Coke guy than Pepsi, but uh, yeah, not a fan of either really. Okay, well then, what about Fanta or Sprite? Sprite. 100%. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Um, what about um, for breakfast, would you rather have a bowl of cereal or some toast? Probably cereal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so many more I, I have this strange thing where I don't eat cereal very much, but whenever I'm in a supermarket and I'm looking at the cereal, I just want to buy all of it. <laughs> like, I, I never eat it, but like, I love the idea of cereal. I love how many types there are and like all these things. I'm like, oh, get me that one, get me that one. Like, I always want the cereal, but I never really eat it <laughs> yeah we've got the same like uh i think in our cupboard we've always got two or three different kinds of cereal i don't know why because we never bloody eat them like but they're there <laughs> they're there but, you just want the option you yeah know? you know you never know you know you know <laughs> midnight you're like i want a bowl of cereal well you can it's there yeah um exactly you're gonna have your last ever meal and are you gonna have it at home or at a restaurant Ooh, that's pretty tough. Um, probably honestly, restaurant for me. I I love making food at home. I don't do it as much as I probably should or or could, but I definitely have some favorite restaurants. I definitely love to go out and find new stuff. That's one of my favorite things about being on tour is uh, just finding like super amazing restaurants and stuff on tour. 
And I always like mark them in my like little Google Maps app. So then I'm like, next time we're through that city, I'm like, well, we got to go back to this place <laughs> or, you know, or we got to try this one. I, I saw it on, you know, a website or some TV show or something like that. So like, I'm definitely like all in on the restaurants. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Um, now you're going to go see a movie. Do you want to see it at the cinema or do you want to wait to watch it on the couch at home? a very tough question i don't know if i have an answer for it i'll uh okay i like certain movies at home mm-hmm. and certain certain movies in the cinema mm-hmm. like if i know it's gonna have crazy like effects and like sound and like you know um like like i'll give you a random example like godzilla like mm-hmm. if it was like you choose to see godzilla for the very first time in the cinema or you choose to see it at home i would choose for sure the cinema Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. if somebody was like yeah this is like a drama movie it's a little slow it's like two hours but it's a really good movie i would probably choose to watch it at home yeah so yeah you know like a little torn between that like i love horror movies and some horror movies i just know that like they're gonna be so standard that like i don't need to go see it in theaters i just you know like but if it's like like hereditary i was like i gotta see this movie in theaters like it looks nuts and like and it was great um but like you know a new conjuring movie or Mm -hmm. something comes out i'm like yeah i'll just wait till it comes out at home like i don't need to see that in theaters so conjuring 42 coming next week um, <laughs> yeah oh, for just, sure i don't get it man I, every you know action movies have it as well you know the other day i was looking at something you know i always try and download stuff sorry folks yeah. but you know illegal movies um <laughs> and they had um and i didn't realize it that got to that stage but fast and furious nine nine I know, man i nine. know I'm the same way with the Marvel movies. Like, I am actually a really huge comic book nerd. Like, mm-hmm. I love, uh, like, Venom and Carnage specifically mm-hmm. are, like, my bread and butter. Like, I have, I probably have 500, like, Venom and Carnage comics. Like, so I love Marvel. I love, I'm definitely, like, a Marvel guy. But I I don't even think I saw one of the Marvel movies in theaters. Mm. Like I saw, I saw Venom for sure. Cause I really wanted to see it in theaters. Cause I love Venom so much. And I probably will see the next one that comes out um, like with carnage in theaters because I love it. But like people are like, Oh, we got to see guardians of the galaxy. We got to see whatever, like, you know, um, black widow. That was the new one. Nah, I am not going to sit there in a crowded movie theater with all these other idiots, like saying stuff through the movie like i just don't care like there's no way so uh, yeah <laughs> well i feel you on that venom love because i've got two two my, my two comics uh punisher um nice so much that i've got my stomach is tattooed with the the logo um nice. worst, yeah. worst tattoo i've ever had um <laughs> i know i hear the stomach's brutal oh so i've got punisher and my other one is venom they're my go-to um nice so Hell yeah. there. hopefully this new one is yeah, I think the last one was okay. Like it wasn't amazing, but it I think the humor no. of Venom came through. And I think that was important. Yeah. That's one thing I liked about that one. Like not to tangent off about mm. this too much, but um 
I appreciate the Marvel movies for doing what they do. I know that they're, you know, they're based on comic books. So like, they're supposed to be cheesy. Therefore, they are for kids, like in some realm of things. Like, you know, adults can definitely get down to them for sure. I'm mm-hmm. not saying, and not every, um, you know, villain or hero is necessarily 100% based for a kid. You know, there's definitely ones that appeal more for kids than others. But I, you know, I'm not one of those guys who's looking for like, the best movie I've ever seen when I see a Marvel movie, <laughs> like, you know, get it's, real. Like, it's not possible. <laughs> it's not possible. No. no. So, you know, like I understand like why, you know, some people and some parts of the Venom movie were not great, but like I've read so many Venom comics that like, it didn't feel like it it was out of place to me. Like mm-hmm. I liked it for mm-hmm. a lot of the, like they said, like the humor and stuff like that. People are like, you know, they see Venom. And especially if you've never read the comics, like you see this like big monster looking buff, tough, tough guy, you know, um, which is what he is, but he's also hilarious mm-hmm. and has a lot of comedic like factor to him. And I think people think of Venom, which is one reason why he's one of my favorites, that like he's this villain, this scary villain. And Venom's way more of an anti-hero than a villain. Um, he really isn't even all that bad. Like him and Spider-Man team up multiple times through multiple different time passages to defeat the stronger of the two, you know, in in a in a villain sense of things. So like that's one reason why I love Venom so much. He's like my favorite anti-hero of all of the heroes, you know, and stuff like that. And yeah, he's hilarious too. So like, I, I don't know. I liked, I liked the last movie for what it was. Like I said, I don't go into Marvel movies being like, this is going to be the best movie I've ever seen. <laughs> so my expectations were already pretty low and yeah, I liked it. Yeah. And I'm cool. I'm, I'm excited to see what they're going to do with Carnage because mm. that's one reason why I like Carnage so much is He's my he's probably my favorite villain of mm-hmm. of like a lot of different comic villains. He's just so ruthless. Like he's literally a serial killer with fucking supernatural was, abilities, which yeah. is it happens in other um uh you know arcs and and franchises within Marvel and DC, but like he's he's pretty ruthless. Like and he's he's pretty brutal. So I'm excited to see how they do it. And like um Who's the actor playing Woody him again? Harrelson? Uh, yeah, he's great. Like I, man, uh, Natural Born Killers mm-hmm. is like a classic movie, and I I love his stuff, and he's good at being crazy. So I think he suits that role pretty well. Other than he looks weird with red hair. Yeah, it, it, that's <laughs> but, the only thing. But oh, it's yeah. like you said. You know, I think you know i was the same with the first one you know um go in with low expectations you know i i hate when people come out and go oh well it's it's not reaching x y and z marks but you have to remember this is a movie of what it is this is not trying to win an oscar this is not trying to win awards you know enjoy it for what it is um and it's going to be amazing um yeah because it's Venom and Carnage, finally. Exactly. Um, I never thought we'd get it, uh, even a Venom movie. So the fact that yeah. we even got that is amazing. I know they were talking about it for years. Mm. And like, mm-hmm. I was so stoked, like as a kid, to be like, Spider Man 3. Oh, mm. it's got Venom in it. It's like, oh, that is the no. worst Venom I have ever seen, ever. Like, mm. that was such a letdown. And we got like emo, you know, 
<laughs> Toby Maguire. And the guy that played Venom was from that 70s show. I forgot his name. Uh can't remember. But that, I think that ruined his career, yeah, actually. It was terrible. Yeah. It was terrible. Ugh. It was terrible. So, like, I never... Uh, that happened, and I was like, this is never going to happen again. <laughs> it was just... It did so bad. There's no way. There's no way it's happening. And here we are. And, you know, we got, like... Uh, um what's the actor's name he plays tom hardy tom, tom hardy yeah mm. he's i i think he's great i love him yeah he mm. also like so he made a good uh a funny uh i don't know it was a meme circulating around it's like yeah you always watch these marvel movies and like the hero is like all of a sudden looks like this like super you know amazing looking tough guy you know this shirt off whatever it's like I like Venom because Tom Hardy just looks like shit the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> like he just, he's just struggling, just dealing with Venom, being Venom, getting his ass kicked. Like I loved it. He he did such a good job at it. Like, oh, he's yeah, no. I love him. He's a great actor. Um, oh yeah. Anyone, if you haven't seen Lawless with Tom Hardy and Shia oh, LaBeouf, great. that's a fucking yeah, that's a banger. That's right great. Um, all right, let's smash through these. Um. Cat or dog? I'm definitely a cat guy. I have owned cats my whole life, so I'm definitely a sucker for cats. I've never owned a dog, so that could change some point in my life. When I, if I get a dog, you know, I could be like, you know what? Now I'm a dog guy. But um, I uh, grew up with basically three cats. One passed away a few years ago, but she lived to 20. So, wow. you know, old cat. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I have two cats now and like, I love snuggling in the morning with my little kitty. Like <laughs> she's such a sweetie. So, I mean, I know that happens with dogs too. Uh, don't get me wrong. And dogs are hella loyal and I love dogs. Um, but yeah, I'm a cat guy for sure. Um, what about Terminator franchise or Predator franchise? Oh, Predator. Ooh, Predator. Yeah. Because for me, um, while we were talking about, I'm not going to tangent this as much, <laughs> but I love Alien. Alien, hands yes. down. One of my favorite franchises ever. Um, I like I said, I collect Venom and Carnage, but I also have a huge Alien collection. Um, some comics, but mostly like figures and um, like I own like you know VHSs and DVDs and like all the you know physical versions of the movies and like I love Alien so much and I loved like I love Predator as well. It, it was very cool, but. And AVP gets a lot of like a lot of flack, mm. uh, especially the second one, which was bad. But I loved AVP as a kid. Like First when I one. grew up, yeah. when I was growing up, I was like, man, Alien, Predator, whoa, <laughs> I'm in. You know, so for me, it's got to be Predator for sure. Um, Rambo or Rocky? Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I've never really been into each of those movies too much, but I'm going to go with Rambo. Uh, Rambo was also shot in BC here, I believe. I heard. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to give it to Rambo. Okay. Um, Freddy or Jason? Wow, that one's tough for sure. Uh, I think I'm going to go with Jason. Uh, I also, like I said, I love horror movies, so I've watched all of all of all of those movies probably once i like the friday the 13th franchise just a little bit more 
than the Freddy franchise. Nightmare on Elm Street franchise got it gets a little weird. Yeah, it does. They both get they both get weird, but um, I mean, Jason's just undead guy with a machete. Like, you can't really like fuck it up too much, you know? Like, mm. so other than other than when they went to space, that's what I was about to say. They <laughs> threw him into space for I think it was X, wasn't it, Jason X? Yeah, <laughs> they did. They really tried to fuck up that franchise with that move. But you know what? Yeah. I love how ridiculous that movie is. Like, I don't love that movie, but like, it's so ridiculous. Oh. It's one of those movies like. I could just put it on and just laugh my ass off because it's so dumb. Like, you know. <laughs> the reason it's also funny is because someone in there thought that this was a fucking great idea. They were like, oh. it's the Holy Grail. There's, oh. there's not going to be a better one. Oh, we've hit the pinnacle here, boys. <laughs> we've hit the pinnacle. We've sent him to space. It's like, mm, yeah. No. But I'm I'm a huge uh, Halloween fan. Like Michael Myers is my favorite uh, horror movie, uh, like villain, serial mm-hmm. killer of all time. I've seen all the Halloween movies. Yeah, Halloween's the shit. Now, last movie. Well, we've got two movie. No, three movie ones before we have a couple of music ones to finish off. Um, right. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars, 100%. Ooh. Um, I never, I was too young for Star Trek, so... It was like a, it was something that was on on TV. Well, not too young, I guess, but it was just something that was on TV that I was like, I don't understand this. Yeah, it's like, weird. It, it was yeah. just, I was too young to like, other than like Pokemon, <laughs> you know, I was like, I don't understand shows that like you have to tune in every week for a new episode. <laughs> like, I just was like, even Pokemon, I was like, no, oh, Pokemon's on. Hell yeah. And you just watch Pokemon. You don't really know like that, like things lead into each other. You mm. know, I was just like, shows sweet. Like I watched like a shit ton of Batman and like Spider-Man, like the animated series when I was a kid. And like, I don't know. I didn't really like realize that like until you're older that you're like, oh, I missed an episode or yeah, there's something like in between. <laughs> So I just be like Batman, hell yeah! <laughs> so I didn't, I just couldn't get into Star Trek when I was a kid. And but Star Wars was like, you know, because it's introduced in in more of a movie sense than an, an episodic sense. Like there, there are still, you know, episodes to that. You know, each movie is basically a, you know, two hour episode. Mm. Um, but it was easier to like grasp as a kid. You'd be like, watch this movie and you put it on. And you're like, wow, it was a crazy movie. And they're like, okay. So, you know, in a few more days or whatever, cause it wasn't like, I never really binged movies as a kid. And mm-hmm. I saw mostly star Wars through my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and my parents divorced uh, when I was quite young. So like, it'd be like, Oh, I go, go, go visit my dad. And he'd be like, you want to watch star Wars? I'm like, hell yeah. So then we watch a, you know, a star Wars movie. And then it'd be like next weekend, I go to see my dad again. So it'd be like, let's watch the next one, you know? And then, so like, it was a little bit more retainable Mm. in that sense of things. So yeah, Star Wars hands down for me. What about South Park or Simpsons? South Park, hundred percent. I I love both of them. Um, And they're both extremely smart. Don't get me wrong, Mm. but um, I love how dumb south park Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. and how incredibly also smart it is like they could have the dumbest episode which is literally like like stupid like it's all about poop or something like the whole episode but it has this insanely 
smart undertone of like what is happening in like current pop culture or like now in the world that like never ceases to amaze me and don't get me wrong i understand simpsons does that too the simpsons will like foretell the future and shit and you're like this is nuts like they made an episode on this and here we are 10 years later and it's literally happening so they got some stuff going on as well but i always found simpsons episodes to be a little bit more like boring for me yeah i'll give it to you yeah 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 they're they're both awesome but yeah south park for sure for me yeah last thing on south park i i 400 percent agree with you and the other thing is i don't think people understand how quick they make those shows for how difficult it is to make a show because what happened on monday they can show you on sunday on the next episode like so current it's it's insane it's i love it it's nuts i love it i watched a i watched a tiny documentary it was literally only like maybe a 20 minute little documentary but it was literally just about that that Mm. like they're they get stressed about Mm -hmm. it because they commit to making something that just happened and they're like if we don't get it done and ready and prepped and everything to go out this week then we've just wasted all of our time because nobody's going to know about it anymore like because that it's it's happening right now so like they get just as stressed about having that stuff come out right away and and make those jokes still be relevant and funny and i think like there's something so admirable about that it's just it's insane yeah yeah great guys and uh, we just the other week rewatched basketball um <laughs> which is fuck i love that movie forgot how much i love that movie that's a fuck it's so wild oh, it's, it's such a wild such movie, a movie. Um, it's amazing okay cannibal corpse or black dahlia murder oh black dahlia for me Okay. I love both. I love both for sure. Campbell Corpse, like Hammer Smash Face was like, what the heck is happening as a kid for me? Like, I was like, wow, this is crazy. Like for me, a lot of um, Trevor's lyrics have been like super incredibly influential. Um, like his storytelling is is unmatched, especially like that album, Nocturnal. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it's just like, that changed my whole life. Like, I don't know, that album is like one of my favorite albums, I think. And we had the opportunity to be on that run where they played Nocturnal every single day for the whole run of that tour. So I'll never forget that. That was like one of my favorite moments in history for me. <laughs> where <laughs> I got to be a part of that. So yeah, Dahlia for me. <laughs> um. Oh, okay. There we're going to go. Despised icon or thy art is murder. Ooh, that's really hard. Super hard. Um, I'm gonna have to give it to thy art. Um, I love despised icon. Canadian metal band. Two vocalists. Definitely very influential. But when I was younger, um. I didn't like grind very much. Mm-hmm. Um, and they definitely have a big grind undertone, mm. um, especially in the earlier material. Uh, and Thy Art, like the obviously Infinite Death, like people always freaking out about Infinite Death. Like, um, and I understand the controversy. The lyrics are a little, not even a little, they're mm. pretty out there. But, you know, I think. Yeah, time period and stuff also plays a factor. But um, I'm one of those guys, and I feel like sometimes I'm definitely the minority that, like, I 
absolutely loved the adversary like oh yeah yeah it's oh. it's so good like some people are like no nah, that album's just not it and i'm like man listen to it now like it's some of those songs like laceration penetration like that song is amazing like mm-hmm. yeah no i i love die art and 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 you know i'll be that guy too like i actually didn't really like hate that much um wow okay, okay. yeah i don't know and i always get flack for it like i don't mind hate uh, especially now looking back on it i i do i see the success i see why it blew them up um and i do see like how some of the songs on that record are really dope songs um i w- i'm still not a huge fan of newer Dyer's murder uh you know Dyer's murders it's just it it just i don't know we were talking about it way back at the beginning of this like the cookie cutter thing of um deathcore and you know how everything kind of fits into a mold sometimes i feel like they they may have invented that kind of mold that sound for themselves through hate but i I find as a listener myself that it gets boring um, where I do feel like despised has grown on me more throughout the years with their newer material. But to answer the question straight, yeah, Dyer is murder for me. Like the, the first two releases um, are just like, I could listen to the adversary like every day of my life. <laughs> that album rips. For an Aussie perspective, it's an Aussie band that made it. We're very rare. You know, we have got Northland and Parkway, but, you know, it's pretty rare for a band like that to stay as big as they are, but they are the only band out of all these Aussie bands that have blown up that will, after they finish the show, go and hang out with all the people that turned up, take photos, have beers, socialise. Parkway don't do it. Northlane don't do it. These bigger bands come out of Australia. Not to say they don't care about their fans, but it feels like they don't give a shit about their fans. Thy Art, I've seen them play to 12 people and then seen them play to 1,200 people. So um, I love love Sean. I love Marshy. love CJ. CJ still owes me some fucking weed from last time I (laughs) hung out with him. Um, Every time I see him, he somehow pinches my joint and takes it so um you owe me fucking cj you owe me yeah you you owe me uh, some weed um anyway funny i digress um okay last few do you want to play a show with stage dives or mic grabs happening i like stage dives because and i'll give you a reason for both Mm -hmm. uh i like mic grabs i like to give the fans i do like giving the fans an opportunity you know but so because we have two vocalists we used to give mike grabs like a lot Mm -hmm. and some people are just honestly dicks about it like they just (laughs) they steal it and they're like this is my show now and they're like and oftentimes they're not very good no and like and it's just it just ruins the whole vibe for for like everyone like like us on stage because you're like all of a sudden like oh like what's happening and like you gotta you know get the mic back and your band's like why'd you do that like, <laughs> you know what I mean and for people at the show because they want to see you play they don't mm-hmm. want to see you know Joe Schmo over here grab the mic and kill it and you know and kill it or not kill it like um, so like I don't know I'm I'm not huge on mic grabs nowadays and like 
I don't know. They're like a little, I don't want to sound like a germaphobe, but like, man, people just like spitting all over them and shit like that and yeah. stuff. I'm like, I bring my own mic on stage because I don't want to use the house mic because I don't know who the fuck has done whatever the fuck to that microphone. Mm -hmm. So I don't really like sharing my microphone. Don't like, blame you, mate. And especially yeah. nowadays with all this, you know, sweating and coughing and spitting. Ooh, last yeah. thing I want to do is yeah. no, no, no. Not a not a huge fan. No. But I love stage dives. I love I love when the crowd is like really like engaged and and you know they're having such a good time that they want to climb up on stage they want to jump off the stage like i don't mind that stuff other than sometimes like the only negative thing i will say about that just and it's such a small very like first world problem for me is like we have so many people in our band so if the stage is small then it's kind of like please don't get on stage because we also have no room up here <laughs> <laughs> like so but you know, we're playing a huge venue, huge stage, like come right on up, like jump off, have fun. Like ultimately I just want people to have fun. So like, but I also want to put on the best performance I can. So it's like to answer that question back, like I would rather keep the mic the whole time, be able to perform a really good performance for everyone and allow them to come up on stage and jump around and have fun and stage dive. So like, I feel like it's the best of both worlds. Like people who are there who want to take it in for the listening experience can enjoy what's happening from that perspective of things and the people who are at the front of the show who want to mosh, who want to stage dive and do those things, they can have their fun. So that's yeah. the answer. Perfect answer. The only thing left to say, I have to say, or my thing is I love stage dives as well, but the only thing I don't like is when that person, guy or girl, gets up on stage and then decides that they just want to stand on the stage for like an oh. extended <laughs> period of time. You're like, you're you're up there to stage dive. Don't get up there jump and they're off. like they're going, Hey, I'm up here, guys. Yeah. No. I know. Jump off. I know. Like, I know. And there. then that's like awkward too, because like it's, I don't know, I'm too much of a nice guy to like push push them off the stage. <laughs> <laughs> but I've seen it happen many times. Many mm. bands who tour with are like, Yeah, this guy just got on the stage and started standing there. I had to push him <laughs> off. I'm like, oh, it's so awkward. Like <laughs> Now, you're going to go to a show. Do you want to yeah. watch it from the pit or by the sound desk? Um, definitely depends on the show. Mm -hmm. Like, if I want to just see a band... Okay, I'll give you two examples. Mm -hmm. If I want to see a band for the sake of seeing the band, like just that, they're, they're not maybe my favorite band. They're not, um, not... Maybe not even a band I listen to very much, but I'm interested in seeing what they have to like offer and their live experience. I'll definitely stand back and enjoy mm -hmm. the sound for what it is. But every single show that I go to, that it's a band I really want to see, um, doesn't matter the show. I'm right up as front as I, I possibly can. Like I love the like the feel of being part of like the first few rows and like how like I don't know. Some people are definitely there, like holding on for dear life, trying to not <laughs> pass out from sweating. But <laughs> you know, like, but I just love the engagement that the first like few rows and like the edge of the mosh pit like um like offers to mm -hmm. the the whole vibe of being in a show when i was a kid i used to like only want to go to be in the pit mm -hmm. not only but you know you just i want to mosh i want to be part of the pit and um i have like really bad knees like i had i've had two acl reconstructions on my left leg and uh i think i've had four or five knee surgeries so like my knees are fucked up 
<laughs> so I definitely like play it real cool with like the pit. I don't really pit anymore, but being like front and center, like right up at the front, like, yeah, hundred percent. So yeah. I would say I'm definitely more inclined to be up at the, I'll be up at the front for any band I really like, but if I'm, if I don't know the band and, and I just want to like experience it from like a listening perspective, I definitely want to sit back and, mm. and listen to it. But those are usually bands I don't know very well. Mm. So Now, second last one. Technically, in reality, you need one to go with the other. So they coexist. Um, okay. But let's, let's imagine that they can live independently and you don't need the other to make the other work. And what they are is, would you rather tour for the rest of your life or record music for the rest of your life? <clears throat> I think, I think I'd rather, hmm, man, that's actually a super tough question. I was going to immediately say that I'd rather tour for the rest of my life because I like touring and I miss touring a lot from, uh, you know, the whole COVID scenario and us not being able to do that stuff. I definitely like miss touring a lot. Um, and I, the thing I really, really do like about touring is, um, how structured it is and like scheduled it is there's a lot of like unknown for sure but like it's like you play this time every day your set list is this amount of time you know we need to be out of the venue because this is the drive and like everything becomes a lot more like scheduled and routine and like you know you're like oh i gotta drink this amount of water today i need to do this i need to do that get food um, you know, load-ins at this time, so foods at this time, whatever. Um, I like that part of tour a lot. Um, and I like being on the road and seeing things I haven't seen before and seeing new people and making new friends. That's I feel like all of those things make me love touring. And I do like recorded music, but I do find recording music actually like quite stressful. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. there's a lot of like overthinking when I record of being like, oh, is, is like, is that take good enough? Like, should I redo it again? And then like, because you do like, and th I guess this equates to both touring and, and live, but like, I don't know, live, it's kind of like, if you do your, like, do your vocals, do your thing. And maybe like, to me, I'm like, oh, I kind of fucked that part up or something. Or like, I just, I just didn't do as good as I could have like, or I, th I thought I should have, um, it's kind of like, well, who's going to remember that one little part? Like mm. I always hold myself to a really high standard and I try to, you know, give my best performance all the time. But like, there is that thought that it's like, oh, like, you know, you mess up that one line, like the average listener is just going to be like, that was amazing. I loved it. You know, rather than being like, yeah, you fucked up that one part, <laughs> but like you fuck up one part on an album that some, something somebody can listen to like hundreds, thousands of times. They're like, yeah, that part sucks. Cause you fucked up. And you're like, mm. oh no, <laughs> like, you know, so like, I don't know. There's so much pressure with, uh, playing or with recording that I like overthink things a lot. So like, I think I would rather play live for the rest of my life, but I do think I would get bored playing the same material. So like mm. I said, they go hand in hand. Like if it was like, you could only play what you've put out now and tour off that for the rest of your life. I definitely would kind of hate that. Um, so, you know, good answer, man. That's a good one. 
Um, all right, last one. Now, this one is the only triple one. Now, I'm going to give you your all-time favorite album. The way I give it to you is the only way you can consume it. So would you like it on CD, vinyl, or on your phone? Um, I think... I think on my phone, just yeah. because it's the most accessible thing, especially like now in this day and age, is like I I still collect CDs, but I collect them more um, in a sense of like I like like I, I'm a collector. Like I have comics, I have figures, I have deathcore T-shirts and CDs. Like I think it's more of a like it's the collector in me that likes mm. the CDs rather than being like I'm not really much of an audio file or whatever they say you know for lack of a better term like i don't i'm not that guy who's gotta listen to this in its best quality and cds aren't the best quality vinyl would be the best quality um but i i don't really like care about that too much like i do care about it but it's not first on my list of priorities i would rather be able to listen to you know any album i could right now like mm -hmm. i use my mm -hmm. phone so much to listen to music i'll just be like sitting there and just like oh I'll just throw a song on for like 30 seconds like if i'm just like you know just oh, i just want to hear that part or just just this just that you know like always plug it in in the car or sitting there and you know put some spotify on or whatever like i, I love like the accessibility of it so like i definitely choose my phone for sure fuck yeah now mike first thing i'm gonna say thank you so very 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 much for taking time out to chat with me. Secondly, a lot of love, a lot of respect, and a lot of appreciation for you as a person and for the talent and the time you've given me. Um, Thank you. I appreciate that. Dude, this, it, we went way above uh, time, <laughs> but that's good. Like, you know, Johnny had the same, you know, you, you smashed him out of the park, but I like... <laughs> I like having guests who are like yourself who can hold a conversation. Um, you have things to say. So I didn't. I don't need to guide you. I don't need to tell you where to go. You go. <laughs> and that's great, man. Like that is like, well, you know, when you write your list of the kind of ideal guest, you smashed it, man. Like everything uh, well, I wanted. Well, thank you. Um, thank you so much. I, uh, <laughs> I apologize if I talk too much. No, I definitely perfect. have a habit of going off but Perfect. i appreciate that so much and thank you for having me i really had a great time your questions were awesome and yeah it felt like a very natural conversation which was awesome yeah look i, I felt like we were sitting sitting down and in a on a bench in a park or some shit just chatting shit yeah. and it's perfect and look i you've helped me tick off a list uh bucket list for me um oh hell yeah because as i told you you know my wife thinks it's crazy, but, you know, around 2013, 14, whenever it was, I paid 70 bucks for a deathcore EP. She thinks that's <laughs> fucking insane. But I've had someone from Angel Maker on the show. I count Johnny, but then I don't really count Johnny. So, I mean, I can say I've had Angel <laughs> yeah. Maker on the show. Um, Hell yeah. Uh, but I'll stay in touch. And look, dude, if you ever, ever get to Australia, um, let's go out for a pizza or a burger. Your choice, my shout. Hell yeah, I'd appreciate that. That'd be awesome. I can't wait to uh, get over there and hopefully we get to hang out. I would love that. Um, look, thank you again. Love you lots. Um, and you have a great thank rest you. of your day, brother. Thank you. You too. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Ciao, Mike.
Ciao. Take care.
there's nothing a man cannot do once he accepts the fact that there is no God. <laughs>
So that was my chat with Mike of Angel Maker. And at the end there, the first track you heard was Leech. Second track was titled Shire LaBeouf. And both of those are from the band's album Dissentient. And the third and final track was Bloodthirster, which is from their most recent album, their self-titled album. Now's the part of the show where I spark that thing inside you to support the band that's been on the show. So if you enjoyed the music or you enjoyed the conversation at the end there, now's your chance. Get online, consume it, download it, invest yourself into this music. If you're into physicals, get online, try and get yourself a CD or a vinyl. And lastly, if you're into merch, make sure you grab yourself a shirt, a hoodie or some shorts. Whatever you got to do, support Mike and the Angel Maker boys. Now I need to take this moment to thank Mike again. Thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. We'll stay in touch. We'll definitely chat again soon. And that's it. That's the Mosh Zone episode 176 done, dusted, all wrapped up, locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget... You can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.